You are with the panel on RNZ National. Guy and Espin are with you in for Wallace Chapman this week. Well, the breaking news this afternoon, more headaches and heartaches for the Prime Minister with another Cabinet Minister in some spot of bother. Kitty Allen is taking some time out after these allegations about her mistreating staff in her office. She took a week or so off and now Chris Hipkins, the Prime Minister, has confirmed just a few minutes ago really at a post-Cabinet press conference that he has asked her to take a couple of more weeks off while she sorts herself out in the wake of these allegations. We'll try and bring you some more on that story as it develops this afternoon. But first, to the Green Party's proposal of rent controls. About one Kiwi household in every three rents their home. So if you're renting, the idea that landlords could be prevented from raising the rent more than 3% a year might be welcome news for you. The Green Party announcing that policy over the weekend that they would set three measures really. Uh, no more than 3% as a rental increase or the rate of inflation or 1% less than the annual wage growth. So whichever of those figures was the lowest. So it might sound good if you're, if you're renting. Landlords aren't so keen, though. The Vice President of the Property Investors Federation, Peter Lewis, says that the policy would create a shortage in rental properties by forcing more landlords to sell up. And he's also on record as saying that more rental deals might be done on the black market where tenants had fewer protections. Well, let's get the view from a renter's perspective now. Renters United President Geordie Rogers is with us. Welcome to the panel. Kia ora, thanks very much for having me. What do you make of those concerns that are put up there by the Property Investors Federation? We do hear this a bit, don't we, when we ask for more stricter measures on landlords at all, that people sort of say, oh, well, look, they might all throw their hands up and, and get out of the industry. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, we certainly hear it every single time. I mean, we heard it when all of the RTA changes came in, we heard it when healthy home standards came in, and now we're hearing it again with any further changes to the market. Um, Ultimately, what we see when you look back at the supply and flow of rental properties is that people still invest in rental properties. They're still entering the market. We haven't seen the mass exodus that they're talking about, and that's because providing a rental property is extremely profitable. Um, So the idea that they're just going to sell up and give away all of this free money, uh, it doesn't seem to be playing out, and I doubt it will play out again in this case. Anna, have you got a question for Peter here? or What's your take on this 3% cap on rent rises? Oh, I mean, absolutely. When you look, oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah, sorry Where you go. And I'm just, uh, <laughs> um, Geordie, this is the, the, the beauty of, of radio. You can't see who you're dealing with. But <laughs> just bringing Anna in from the panel here. Well, my, uh, I mean, my take on it is bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And it's interesting that the 3% cap is the thing that's getting the attention because there's so many good aspects to this policy. As someone who actually only managed to buy my first home in the last two years, I completely understand um, the way that it's so incredibly stressful to be a renter in in this kind of environment in this day and age when the the barrier to actually buying your first house is so high if you don't have access to the bank of mum and dad and you're at the whim of um, a landlord who 
might put your rent up at any time or even get rid of you. Um, it's so incredibly stressful and adds so much pressure, especially to families. I have a lot of solo mum uh, friends who have to clean their entire houses, spot to you know, top to bottom, every three months mm. for an inspection. The old uh, landlord inspection. Hey, um, oh. Peter, Peter, it's good that we've got you on the panel today. Um, I and this, my knowledge of this is probably based on the sitcom Friends, but um, <laughs> don't, don't 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 some places in America have rent controls, the, the, the land of capitalism and free enterprise? Yeah, I grew up in a, a rent-controlled apartment. Um, right. my, my aunt still lives there, 16A, right? 101st so it, and West End Avenue. Wow. So they actually do have rent control there? Oh, they do. Wow. Um, of course, less and less. And what the landlords said, and we were talking about trying to reach across. I'm not a landlord. In fact, I don't traffic in anything but ideas. Um, yeah, but what, what, what I hear about, I mean, <laughs> about, about these folks is, look, if you put rent control, then you're only going to control some apartments. And that means the folks who are not in rent control apartments, which very much is the case in New York, will pay much higher rents. So it turns out to uh, not be as easy a thing as you think and not a real panacea. It sounds to me like it's a last gasp measure that never seems to take in the big picture. Uh, that having been said, very quickly, we do have five-year loans. We have multi-year fixed-rate mortgages. So the idea of having multi-year rents and contracts for multi-year consistent rents would make sense. Yeah, that's interesting, Geordie, isn't it? Because a lot of renters will tell you this, and I've been one in the past, um, that you know it's the uncertainty um, and we seem to have this sort of very short-term attitude to, 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 to rental uh, properties in New Zealand. W- would that make sense for what Peter's saying there to have a, you know, have a, have a contract that was um, specified the rent for a longer time? Yeah, I, th- I mean, that certainly does. And it's something that we see um, happening in commercial contracts as well, where either they put up front and say, Okay, this is going to be the rent for the three years, or they might say this is how much it's going to change each year. Um, that's something that we don't see in the private rental market, and, and by and large, many landlords are putting up the rent each year at, at whatever maximum the market can take. Um, and so I do think for renters, especially, the thing that Rent Controls provides is certainty that you'll be able to stay in your home, and it is that focus of security of tenure, making sure you're not moving away from your community unnecessarily. Um, so multi-year tenancies are always uh, going to be a massive win. What's the rule at the moment? There is a time period. Is they have you to give a certain amount of notice before you put the put the rent up? Yeah, so there are notice periods, and and the one that often gets talked about the most is that they've changed um, the amount of times a rent can be put up by um, no more than once every twelve months. And what we saw with that policy basically is just that all of those incremental increases that would happen throughout the year would happen all at once. And so it hasn't necessarily slowed down or changed the rate that rent prices increase. Um, and when it comes to going and actually trying to um, take your landlord to the tribunal for something that you think is excessively high in, in terms of rent, um, it's very difficult to prove that that excessive amount is unjustified uh, given the loose definitions. And basically the legislation says that anything that someone might ever be willing to pay uh, is a reasonable rent. Mm, thanks, Geordie. Geordie Rogers there is the president of Renters United uh, talking there on the panel about that Green Party policy which would cap rent at increases at no more than 3%. And interesting to hear that uh, they do indeed do this in parts of the US. Let us know your experiences or your thoughts on that, 2101, if you want to get in touch with us on the panel. Well, the public health system 
used to be a point of pride for New Zealanders. And you often hear people lament the American system where your health care depended on how much money you had. Many New Zealanders did without health insurance and slept easily while they did so. But is that still the country that we live in? Do you now need health insurance in New Zealand? This question raised its head again this morning with ONZ reporting that patients are regularly having to wait a year and a half, up to 18 months or so, for heart scans that could tell them whether or not they have a serious or even life-threatening condition. These were echocardiograms, a sort of an ultrasound for the heart, a non-invasive test that can show blockages or other damage. They've been long waiting list for this for, for years, but they've apparently blown out to unprecedented levels. So is private health care and private health insurance becoming less of a luxury in New Zealand and more of a necessity. Let's talk now to Ian Powell, who's a health commentator and former head of the Salaried Medical Professional Union. Uh, good morning. I was going to say good morning. I already did. Did I say that out loud? It must be an old show I used to work on. Good afternoon. You did say it uh, out loud, <laughs> but I, I worked out the reason why. <laughs> How are you uh, this afternoon, Ian? Well, not bad. I, look, I would say that uh, you know, when you introduced the question of pride, I think we should all have pride in what our public hospitals are doing when you're able to get into them. But we should not have any pride at all about the obstacles to getting in because they were avoidable. If you look at something like that, an 18-month wait for an echocardiogram or a, you know, sort of an ultrasound thing for the heart, I mean, it could provide some pretty serious information. How much of a concern is that for you? Oh, it's an extreme concern. Look, when we talk about shortages, and the, you know, the three words sum it up, shortages, shortages, and shortages. <laughs> now, when we look at the whole workforce, we tend to think a lot of doctors, medical specialists and other doctors and nurses in terms of shortages. But there's a whole range of other highly specialised occupations, much smaller numbers, uh, that come under the broad umbrella of allied health professionals. And one of those is sonographers. And almost all, if not all, of those allied health professional groups, and there's maybe 30, 40 of them, um, there are severe shortages, and they have been for some time. And sonographers is one of those. So, so what you could almost take almost any service that requires some form of diagnosis or scanning or... Yes. Uh, uh, and you, you might, you'll probably come up with something, give or take, something similar. Yeah, and just, just before we move to the panel, who may, may well have questions for you too, is that something that you could get on private health insurance? Would you just be able to go and get that? Well, that all depends. Well, first of all, you've got to have it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, and, but yes, these sort of things, these are, these are generally uh, for... Uh, planned, you know, for that might might lead to an operation that could yes. be planned. Although some cases they could be more urgent than that, and that's half the problem. You don't know until you do the scan. Mm. Um, but um, but normally you could pick them up on in, in the main, pick them up on private health. Yeah. And if I could bring you in here, Anna Dean, with us on the panel uh, this afternoon, Anna, what's your attitude to health insurance in New Zealand? Well, I don't have any personally. In the past, I have had trauma insurance um, when I um, had a company and just to have that extra check. But I recently um, had an experience of um, needing some tests at Nelson DHB and was amazed how quickly I, I was received there and felt so grateful that um, the system was provided in a, in a public way at, at no cost to myself. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I do feel 
some pride that I don't live in an American system and, you know, would face exorbitant amounts to get in an ambulance and things like that. But it is worrying for these, for these, um, particular, particular conditions, but it's all down to a lack of, um, investment over many decades. So it's very tough for people. And I, I, I really hope we don't have to get into a situation where more and more people are getting health insurance. Mm. Yeah. Peter, we've maligned the country of your birth a couple of times. Uh, we probably <laughs> need to give you a right of reply. How do you see this uh, as, as a, a former American or acquired American? Uh, I think the 330 million Americans will handle it, guys. So that's okay. Oh, okay. Right. Um, what, but yeah, health spending in New Zealand is about 10% of GDP, which puts it, I think, between Denmark and El Salvador. Um, you know, I guess it could be more. Uh, the United States is 20 percent. Um, is that a good idea or a bad idea? That's, that's hard to say. It seems insurance on the whole is just a great idea. Even when you don't need it, uh, you're helping someone who does. So just having health insurance seems like a good idea. It's certainly one of my biggest discretionary expenses, but I, maybe I don't even consider it discretionary. And Anna and I might disagree here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Ian is exactly right. It's a much larger issue. It's a matter of how much New Zealanders really want to spend on, on their health. What about you, Ian? What's your attitude to health insurance in New Zealand? Well, well I don't have health insurance. Uh, and I think if I was forced to use the private, uh, private system, I would probably do you know pay as you go but i'm able to do that and many people aren't but i think that you've got to see health insurance in context what we have is a serious problem of access to uh, surgery and other treatments think that can be planned once you once you impede once access is impeded it becomes less accessible that will drive health insurance up or not the number of health people insured by privately up uh, which in turn drives up the costs of private, the private health insurance because they're going to pay out more, and that leads to increased premiums, um, especially for the elderly. Um, I, just on Peter's point about the American system, mm. it was 20%. Uh, that's primarily because it's, a, it's essentially it's a profit-demand-driven system, and, uh, the, and there's a lot of commercial activity involved, which is high transaction costs. And that's the biggest factor that determines why the U.S. has the highest expenditure on health in the OECD. New Zealand's somewhere in the middle, perhaps slightly on the lower end. GDP is not the best indicator of it, uh, but slightly at the lower end. We could be doing a bit better. But Ian, you talk about access, and we've talked about waiting lists, but it's also the access to some of the modern treatments, isn't it? I remember when I was investigating Pharmac over the last couple of years at RNZ, you know, you'd see these stories of people who had lung cancer or, or, or serious cancer, and those who could afford the treatments that immunotherapy treatments or other modern treatments that Pharmac weren't subsidising could pay $10,000 a month or whatever and, and get a few more years of life. Um, and, and those who couldn't afford it would, would die. And we don't think of ourselves like that as a country where the, the, the thickness of your wallet determines how long you'll live. But it's hard to deny in some cases that uh, that's the reality. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a separate, although related issue. And I think what's required there in terms of Pharmac, the issue is not Pharmac itself. It's the financial parameters in which it operates within and a failure to appreciate that actually if you invest more in medicines, including in the areas that you've just talked about, you will actually not only save lives, you will reduce costs as well. Uh, because you know, good good medicines 
keeps people out of hospital or keeps their stay in hospital less. Uh, so it's actually there is a cost benefit down the track, mm. but we do not have a str- overarching strategy for farming to operate within, so that it can purchase to actually, uh, you know, do do the things it needs to do. The best it can do is list priorities, but uh, that's all fine. But um, if, if the funding for the, for the uh, priorities is so low, uh, a lot gets missed out. Mm. Let's get a final word from both of our panellists on this, uh, Peter and Anna, starting with you. Anna, you're, it's funny how people's perceptions are different of the health system, and it depends on their experience, but you, you're, um, you're someone who's still optimistic and positive. Absolutely. I, I mean, this, this recent experience, I ended up being able to see... Uh, highly qualified best person in the country um lung specialist after um you know some lung damage from living in a mouldy flat for years in wellington incidentally so um back to rent controls yeah exactly (laughs) i really but i really um no i mean i i guess i'm i'm not an elderly person needing more acute care so um it really depends on the individual. So I guess if the individual wishes to safeguard in a financial sense and they have the ability to do that, then sure, all power to them. But yeah. I would hate that that became the norm. And Peter, would you describe to your friends back in the States, would you say, oh, New Zealand's a place where you don't need health insurance, it's all free, it's all good? No, I'm astonished that I'm the only one here who has health insurance. I just thought it was mm. just a, a kind are. of a, col- I do, I, a collective I, I don't thing have to it either. do. <laughs> um, no, my, my major sense is this. We, we misunderstand a lot of things. I find that New Zealand as a culture has a lot of healthy parts to it. And certainly one of them is our willingness to talk about death being part of life and talk about limits. Um, so Pharmac is limited. And I'm afraid mm-hmm. Americans think they'll live forever and they really struggle in their political culture ever to talk about limits. So in that sense, I feel that New Zealand is quite healthy. Mm, thank you for that. Peter Field and Anna Dean are with us on the panel this afternoon. Can I get a last word in God? Oh, why not? Yeah, look, I'm looking for some feedback. So while I do that, um, where you go. Okay. Well, look, what I would say, just to something that my father once told me, uh, the glasses, you know, in terms of being optimistic about the future of the health system, uh, the the glass is always half full rather than half empty. But if you have any doubt about that, just put a little drop in whiskey and you'll get there. (laughs) <laughs> oh, great last word uh, great la- medicinal, medicinal advice <laughs> Great last word there from Ian Powell I don't know whether I can quite condone that But uh, yeah, hoya to waka um, You know, you do you, do you. Um, mm. A bit of feedback here Before we move on We're going to talk about Dine and Dash as this little slug Each story has a slug at RNZ And this one's called Dine and Dash So you have to wait and see what that's about But it's uh, not too much of a mystery um, this one in from Simon in Auckland. Clearly private insurance is becoming a necessity. He says, every time my doctor advises me of a health issue, she asks if I have health insurance. That says everything. You know, Simon, I have the similar experience. You know, you go along and they say, oh, well, you're not quite old enough to get this, you know, colonoscopy or whatever it is. I won't go too far into that on, on radio. But um, they say, oh, well, you go and get it done privately for X couple of grand and, 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 and where you go. Another one in here, my wife has been declined an operation in the public hospital. Not bad enough this texter says, although she can barely walk due to back problems. We do have insurance and we are going private. The cost? $75,000.
Quick one here on the rent control idea. Uh, This one in from Jenny. I have a two-bedroom house which is currently vacant. I am deciding what to do with it. Rent it out or Airbnb? Hmm, might wait until after the election, says Jenny. Thanks for your feedback on that one, 2101. You can reach us. And I'd like to hear from you on this one too. Do you have a dine and dash story? I have one, but it's pretty benign. I'll get to it in a sec. Tori Fano allegedly asked a waiter at a Wellington establishment, do you know who I am? It's a bit of a classic political phrase, that one. Was it Aaron Gilmore um, back in the day? Um, apparently she left her and her friend, um, the, her dining companion, left without paying the bill on Friday night and were a little bit tipsy, apparently, according to Stuff Media. Uh, the bill was settled the following morning by uh, Tori Fano's friend, who was also you know, dining with her the night before. Uh, waiters say the pair were tipsy and got progressively drunker through the night. Anna, have you ever done what <laughs> used to be called a running meal? <laughs> um, you know, have you ever forgotten to pay for dinner? I, I, I'm pretty sure that I have. And um, the thing that I noticed about the story is that they were sitting outside. And it's often quite easy if you if you are sitting outside just to think, oh, gosh, you know, no one's not, – not that you think that you're taking advantage of it, but it's easier to forget because you don't – you know, the, the, the door is not um, past the register. So that, that can be an easy mistake to make. I mean, I, I think this is all – a bit of a beat up to be honest I know the knives are out on from you know for the mayor um, for passing the let's get Wellington moving um, through um, which I think is fantastic and it just um, yeah I think I, uh, yeah, mm, I, I, I have to say I, I'm not going to express a view on, on this particularly but I do have yeah. to say that it was an, a, a, a national MP called Aaron Gilmore um, and mm. I don't know the exact circumstances of both of these, but he pretty much did uh, have a bit to drink and asked the waiter who he was, and, and he didn't last too long after that. Mm, mm. Yes, I mean it's 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 interesting. Um, I mean I think she's a she's adjusting to being a public figure and um she's made quite a you know she's she's known for having a good drink and i think of the number of politicians i've seen absolutely plastered on the streets of wellington at various times you know over the <laughs> oh yes over the deck. <laughs> some of them weren't even out in the streets so i worked in parliament for nearly 15 yeah. years and i can tell you yeah. uh, a few stories about that we probably won't have time for many of them on the yes. panel this afternoon peter what do you make of the mayor's behavior well look you know basically i'm glad for tory because because at least she wasn't so drunk that she forgot who she was because she asked if the person knew who she <laughs> – and I've had that problem. Um, look, I hope I, I, I hope I haven't paid, but I, how would I know? I'm sure I, I wouldn't know. Um, I've often noticed though that the opposite happens. So in the United States, you're often you're, you get a bill and something's not there that you paid for. And I always worry that they'll charge the server for failing. So I always add that to the tip in the United States because – Oh, well, you've you got know, the extra you, nightmare if, of tipping. Although if they don't notice, then, then you're given a way. huge tip. If they do notice, then at least I'm your not, server will I'm not going to thank you for this, but, um, but this, is, this is creeping its way into New Zealand, the, the tip. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, very quickly to understand it in the United States is the tax, first of all, is not included because tax is variable depending on the, uh, uh, the regime and the state and the local taxes. So it varies. So it has to be added individually. And then servers are paid a very low salary. So the tip has to be there, otherwise they, they wouldn't be able to work. Yeah. Hey, what do you, well, we'd had some feedback on this soon, but just back to this main issue, I mean, do you think that to a public figure of that type, I mean, you're the mayor in a tiny 
ti- I mean, it's a tiny city. It's a cool city, Wellington. Lived there for a long time. Um, but, you know, um, do you think you, you need to take care and that you, you, you know that you're, you're going to be watched pretty, pretty closely, Anna? Or do you think, you know, we oh, should just loosen up I mean, and, and, and allow our politicians to, en- to enjoy the night like anyone else? Well, I think it's just this thing, again, it's the social media that, age that we live in and, and every politician has to be so much more careful and it's a 24-7 cycle compared to, you know, pre-social media where people didn't have cameras on their phones all the time and be looking out for a, for a famous face or whatever. I mean, the, 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 the game is so completely different. I saw that Kerry Prendergast had spoken out about how this was a disgrace and it's like the pressures are so completely different on our on our politicians these days and here we have a next generation coming through and I think it's interesting, you know, the, the behaviour change that will be um, just part of, of a next generation in, in power and moving into these positions of power and adjusting to that. Um, I mean, the number, yeah, as wow, I said, Anna. the number. <laughs> really? I mean I, I mean, I get it. But for me, look, an inebriated politician, bless her heart. But for Tory to say, do you know who I am and have that kind of arrogance? And we're not talking about that on the radio. That's the most despicable part of this. Please get drunk. Have a little fun. Anybody should be able to do that. Who in the world cares? But get over yourself. Who the hell do you think you are? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, but going yeah, to, I'm, uh, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Tell us what you really I, I think. think was a, uh, yes, thank you. I'm, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to read a couple. Well, as if of, you uh, would ever do that, guys. If Anna would ever stoop to such a thing as thinking we're so self-important, my gosh. Yeah, I can't say yeah. I disagree with you, actually, Peter. Um, let's just get to a couple of experiences before we get to the headlines. Uh, Marama is waiting uh, by with those. But um, just a couple of these, because I did ask for your experiences. Um, this texter says, me and my friend are medical professionals in a small city. We had a lovely meal and one drink each. We both forgot to pay. The owner chased us to the car park. We were both so embarrassed. And when I think of it years later, I still cringe. Another says, we were in Taupo and my wife got to the restaurant before me and she left whilst I finished my coffee. I thought she had paid when she left and the next day I asked how much it was and realised we hadn't paid. I raced back and settled it, apologising profusely and they hadn't realised we had not paid, says uh, Peter. It's a very nicely constructed uh, text there with uh, proper grammar and some uh, polysyllabic words.